I wonder what's alive for you. I wonder where you're at. I wonder what's of concern to you. I wonder what's standing out in your experience and what you're doing with it. I wonder about the variety of experience among you all and what it's giving rise to. That wondering is really the fundamental orientation of Dharma practice. That, that curiosity, that knowing that there's, there's more to know, there's more to see. And that even though I can get into kind of a mess trying to figure out what that more is, I can find more and more, deeper and deeper, freer and freer. As I learn the art of meeting my experience, caring for my experience, and allowing my experience to open up. So I thought I might offer some reflections this evening on the kind of the trajectory, the, the, you know, it's not necessarily as linear as the way that by the virtue of a talk having a beginning and a middle and end as, it, uh, as the way I lay it out. But the kind of, some of the, of what happens on the infinite trajectory of exploring life. We tend to start off this practice being quite self-preoccupied. That's what we learn, that's the way we learn to relate to ourselves, to relate to life. We learn it kind of innately, it's actually we learn it healthily. We learn to construct and abide in and take care of a more or less psychologically healthy sense of self. And so when we come to this kind of practice, when we come to an environment like this, we come with that self-preoccupation. We come with the question, if you like, well, what's in it for me? And as I ask that question, you might be reminded of that sort of stunning line of the Buddhas that I mentioned last night. From complete and unexcelled liberation. I gained absolutely nothing. But nevertheless, maybe it won't be like that for me. Maybe I can gain something. And it seems to me that there's, there's kind of three realms of self-interest that predominantly that predominantly tend to grab onto, on our consciousness in general and in, in particular being here because that is our general right at the moment one of the self-preoccupations is the wish to be comfortable 
the wish to have a pleasant experience. I want things to be nice for me. And I, if I look carefully, I find, oh, I can put a lot of energy into that. And you might just notice how that's been today. You know, the wish to be comfortable, the attempt to be comfortable, the, the fussing and fighting and freaking out when we're uncomfortable. And then the story I tell myself about my comfort or discomfort. And you can to see for yourself what your style is with that. You know. How much space there is around comfort or discomfort. We all, you and me and the Buddha, we all prefer to be comfortable. Right? So I think it's important when I'm speaking about these self-preoccupations, it's not as a way to make them wrong. It seems to me that anything we make wrong, we really reduce our opportunity for exploring it and understanding it. Because I think I already know it, right? I know something, I think I know something about it. What I know is it's wrong. And if that's what I know, there's no chance to really find out. So that preoccupation of wanting to be comfortable, how about if we were to explore it without making it right or wrong, but just to track it, to learn about it, to be familiar with it, to get to know what does it do to my consciousness. And you may have found yourself too hot, for example, right, today. Heat may play a part in your comfort or discomfort. And in other moments, you may have loved being hot. The physical comfort or discomfort of posture, either in the yoga or in the meditation, might have played into the comfort or discomfort. There may have been moments where you really enjoyed your meditation posture. When it feels light and bright and clear. Maybe moments where it feels like a pleasure to be in your body. And there may have been moments where it feels like a torture to be in your body. Where it's too hot or too tight or too dense or too achy or something. <laughs> so that's a, re- a realm, right? And you can see for yourself if that's a realm that your self-preoccupation turns around. But I would be surprised, you know, if we were to take a little poll, if I was to ask you, you know, raise your hand if your comfort and ease or lack of it hasn't been any kind of preoccupation for you today. Right. No one would raise their hand, right? And so that's both the basic level of comfort, physical comfort, then that also becomes emotional comfort, wanting to have a good mood, wanting to feel happy, wanting to feel peaceful. And again, we all share that, you, me and the Buddha. We all prefer to feel happy and peaceful. And you, me and the Buddha, all of us also share the reality that we don't really always get to choose 
how we feel. We tend to feel, we tend to feel some enjoyment of delight in conditions when they're comfortable and pleasant. And we feel some disagreeable uh, sense, some non-enjoyment, some tiresomeness of conditions when they're uncomfortable. When we haven't understood this well, when we have some idea of a kind of spiritual liberation that carries us to eternal bliss and ease and comfort and delight, when we haven't understood this well, this truth, when we have some idea of spiritual liberation that leads us to an eternal bliss and ease and comfort and delight, then firstly, just lots of good things. <laughs> bliss, ease, comfort, delight. Just des mots then if, if that's our thinking and firstly we get rather disappointed by the rather unglamorous nature of this kind of practice sometimes we might also be surprised there's a nice little place which I remember being surprised at when I first read it in the texts in the Buddha's teachings where he says to Ananda, his assistant oh Ananda I'm tired my back hurts and I've had enough of teaching the monks please take over I'm going for a rest it's nice huh? We tend to see these guys, you know, Buddha images like this, as if that's all the Buddha ever did. Right? Just sort of beatifically sit there, dispensing the wisdom and compassion. It's helpful, humanizing sense of the Buddha. Oh, Ananda, I'm tired. My back hurts. I'm going to take rest. So there's that whole realm of preoccupation of being comfortable. The other realm of preoccupation is with... I'm trying to find the right words. With the sense of self. Who am I? How am I? Am I right? Or am I wrong? Who am I? at least initially, doesn't get very much purchase. Because it seems kind of obvious. Even though, when we start to open that up, it gets a lot less obvious. Initially, I don't tend to walk around or sit around here thinking, who am I? Who am I? I, I tend to think I know who I am. But how am I, I get very interested in. And where the particular typed version of how am I tends to express itself in a sense of concern for whether I'm right or I'm wrong. Whether I should be how I am as against how I should be. Some of us get very tired about how I should be different. 
Again, just to see for yourself the style. Both the sincerity in it, and yet the way we end up making our practice into hard work, making things more complicated than they need be. We've mentioned already today you know, that way in which there couldn't be a simpler expression of life than sitting here quietly. Awareness is already here. Experience is already here. Awareness is just abiding freely. Experience is just unfolding freely. What could be more simple? And part of what um, obscures that simplicity are these three realms of self-preoccupation. So we learn to hang out with these realms. We learn to notice the tendency to fixate on comfort. That we notice the tendency to try and alter or manipulate or judge myself. We notice the tendency to try and get somewhere with our practice. To get to some other better moment, other better experience. And in a way that's sometimes more powerful than we first realise, just that noticing, that hanging out with those three realms, that witnessing how they arise and configure themselves, it starts to free them up. Awareness of self-preoccupation again and again and again. And the awareness of starts to stand out more clearly. And the self-preoccupation starts to get noticed more. Rather than being so identified with it, we start to just see it as, oh, that's what's happening. Oh, preoccupation with comfort. Yeah, I know that. That happens. If I get all identified with that, I'll make myself miserable. And if I get curious about it, if I kind of make this gentle, open space for it, then it can play itself out. And in it playing itself out, I start to learn something about it. And as we practice in that way, awareness of what's happening. And like I say, we arrive with self-preoccupation. So it tends to be initially that self-preoccupation is a lot of what's happening. As I practice awareness of that, the awareness of deepens, stabilizes, opens. Giving us much more space around the self-preoccupation. That space around is really important, really relieving. Part of what's important about it is that I start to see I don't need to fix the self-preoccupation. That actually it makes more difference to establish the space of awareness around the self-preoccupation 
than it does trying to fix all those three realms. And as that truth dawns on us and deepens in us and gets well established in us, then there's a sort of sea change in our practice where self-preoccupation isn't the biggest deal anymore. Self-preoccupation isn't the main event. Self-preoccupation isn't the whole of our practice anymore. Oh, what a relief to not have this little three cubic square feet, this little one cubic metre. Sorry for the imperial measurements. What a relief to not have this one cubic metre of the universe taking up so much space in consciousness. And as I establish that space of awareness in which self-preoccupation is just doing its little thing, and as I invest less energy into it, it arises with less force, with less insistence, it arises less intensely, it arises less often. And when it does arrive, it's like I'm familiar with it. It's easier to see it. It's non-threatening. It doesn't need fixing. It's just allowed to have its hurrah. It's a moment in the light of awareness. And so in that sea change, I start to notice when self-preoccupation isn't taking up all the space, I start to notice what else there is. I start to notice something more fundamental about not so much my life, but about life. I start to notice the fluidity of life, the constant change. I start to notice the way life is unfolding freely. As evidenced inwardly, by just breathing just happening, and the thoughts just happening, and feelings just happening. As evidenced outwardly by, the, by everything, by trees growing, and rivers flowing, and planets turning, and seasons changing. And those, those kind of more fundamental or elemental, essential expressions of life start to stand out more obviously, start to be more interesting, more nourishing, more compelling, more attractive to awareness than just my self-preoccupations. And I'd also notice, you know, the sense that when self isn't taking up all the space, a kind of intimacy between inner and outer life, this shared nature of free unfolding here, the rhythm of expansion and relaxation of breath, and free unfolding here. Self-preoccupation makes a lot of difference between self and other, self and world. But when that's not taking up so much space, oh, I don't need to make so much difference. 
There's an intimacy, sense of interconnection, uh, uh, a sense of natural participation in life, wherein it stands out quite clearly to me at times, the shared nature of inner life and outer life. And out of that shared nature, a sense of trusting in the nature of things. Resting into the nature of things. And in that sea change of practice then, do you understand this term sea change? It's like, we might say change of perspective. From practice with self-preoccupation to practice with the nature of things. In that change, what's happening is we've gone from what we might call a dualistic view, duality between self and world, duality between comfort and discomfort, duality between where I am and where I think I should be, etc., to a much more unitive or let's say, non-dual sense, where the difference between self and world doesn't seem so important. It's just as perfectly accessible if I need to make that differentiation, but it's less important. Where the fussing and freaking out between about where I am and where I should be doesn't seem so important. And there's a a sense of freedom that comes through in that. A sense of relief from preoccupation. Freedom from obsession. So the the personal experience feels freer. The sense of knowing the nature of life feels freer. And one feels, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness for the freedom from self-preoccupation. Thank goodness for the shift from what we were calling duality to sense of non-duality. And we might be tempted to think, okay, good, let's do that. But there's an important other chapter Because, you know, the tendency of the mind to objectify experience is very strong. So the tendency to, like we were saying this morning, to rely on ideas about what's happening is very strong. And so we, the tendency to draw conclusions about who I am, about how I am, about how I should be, about how the world is, etc. is very strong. And so we tend to draw a conclusion as things free up in that way. And we tend to, sh- that conclusion tends to be one that shifts from the first orientation, self-preoccupation, 
Self's comfort is important. Self being right is important. Self succeeding is important. To a new conclusion. <laughs> oh, sorry, too quick. tend to shift from the first conclusion which is that the conclu- which is the conclusion of self preoccupation self's comfort is important self being right is important etc you tend then to shift to a new conclusion oh the absence of self is what's important the Doing away with self-preoccupation is important. And this free realm of free unfolding, interconnection, natural fluidity, and the relief it gives, that's what's important. And it is. It's important. It's freer. It's relieving. It's better. It's be- definitely better to draw to land in the conclusion of the the vision of the Dharma unfolding freely, than to be stuck in the conclusion that the comfort and well-being of self is all important. The trouble is. In this new vision, this new conclusion, there's not much room for me. It's not a very personal life. In fact, it's by definition an impersonal life, where the emphasis becomes on the impersonal nature of things. And after some time, we tend to sense that there's something that doesn't quite fit about that. And because you and me and the Buddha prefer to be comfortable, etc., etc., like we said earlier, the personal, anyway, always breaks through in some way. And in this newfound conclusion, there's not really room for that. It doesn't fit. And in this new conclusion, I find myself somehow, subtly, usually, resisting the personal. Or actually often denying the personal. Pretending I'm not here. Pretending I'm not here. And then, in answer to the same question, question we posed at the beginning, I wonder what's going on. I wonder how you're doing. I wonder what's alive. In that place, we start to answer the question, what's going on? Nothing. 
Nothing's going on. Oh, everything's just going on by itself. It's like there's, there's the, the, from, we've gone from the extreme of self-preoccupation to the extreme of no self-preoccupation. Preoccupied with the absence of self. Preoccupied with the non-arising of self. And then, hopefully, there's another change, another shift in the, what I'm calling the infinite trajectory of exploring life. And it's a shift that's suggested partially by both of those first two orientations. It's the shift where our interest is just in what's here. And whether it's, whether the what arises here has a whiff of self-preoccupation to it or not, that's not my business. My business, my practice, is to take care of what's here. Be interested in what's here. Find out what's here. With no preference, no bias. No bias that's stuck in the preoccupation (coughs) of self. But also, no bias that needs to somehow do away with self. Ignore self. Deny self. To live as a human being is to experience our human uniqueness and individuality and this wondrous, extraordinary, mysterious thing called personality. Sometimes in Buddhism it seems like personality is a bit of a dirty word. Sometimes, you have to see for yourself, I might be going along with some strange idea that I'm trying to dissolve my personality or transcend my personality. I see that self-preoccupation gets tight and complicated. I see that when there's space around self-preoccupation, there's some ease. And then I draw the conclusion that the very sense of self The personality has to be done away with. Even though we find that those beings who we most admire, those beings that seem to be the most free in their expression of life, they don't seem to have an absence of personality. Actually, they often seem to have a very big, bright personality. A very engaging personality. Oh, just somebody just called me this afternoon to talk about something. We were, uh, we were talking about Dalai Lama. So, a very good example of somebody with a very big, bright personality. Very engaging. People are drawn to that bright personality. 
There's a lot of love of that uh, bright personality. So it's a paradox for us. The tendency is there to self-obsess. As we recognize that tendency and attend to it, learn about it, find out about it, give space to it, we get the relief through self-obsession. In the relief from self-obsession tends to be the conclusion that that the sense of self, the personality, the, the manifesting personally is a problem. And then the irony is that we go from this duality we spoke about to a sense of a unitive or what we might call non-duality sense of life. But then we make a new duality. On the one side of this new duality I've got duality, the world of self and other, self-obsession. And on the other side of this new duality I've got this nice non-dual realm. I know this is a bit of a mouthful, but if we really want to honour something that we know to be truthful about non-duality, that has to dissolve our sense of both duality and non-duality. We have to be equally willing to meet life as it appears, whether it appears to be impersonal or whether it appears to be personal. To deny ourselves one of those realms is to deny ourselves at least half of human life. I like that idea. That both the impersonal and the personal are both at least half. <laughs> so, as in almost any exploration of Dharma, very often the beginning point, as we open it up, deepens and deepens our exploration, until as it deepens, we find ourselves with the same question we had at the beginning. What's a lie for you? What's concerning you? What's standing out? You may have some sense of where you stand right now on that infinite trajectory. You may have some sense that what's standing out in your concerns is largely at the moment in the realm of the preoccupations with one's comfort and with one's sense of self and with the struggle to try and get the sense of this practice and deepen in it. 
one may have the sense of the relief of not being so involved in self-preoccupation and in exploring and allowing some of the fundamental qualities of life unfolding that you're noticing. One may have the sense of the way those can both arise and be seen and explored without preference. It doesn't really matter where we are on those, that infinite trajectory. And like I say, the nature of the way of speaking about it implies a linearity, a progressiveness that isn't necessarily accurate. Because wherever we are on that trajectory, we find that place by noticing that it's right here. That whatever's arising, whether I call it to do with the world of self or the world free of self, it's it's the content of this moment. It's what's asking for attention. What arises in awareness arises in order to be seen, to be known, to be explored, to be allowed. Whatever arises, arises in order to be allowed to arise. When it's allowed, in the allowing, it self-liberates. So what a tragedy it would be to cut off some realm. To say, oh, I want to allow life, but not the life of self. Oh, I want to allow quite a lot of life, but not that bit. Oh, I want to allow my feelings, but not that one. We might rephrase, you know, that, that question of what is, what is concerning you, what's alive for you. Particularly if we're experiencing some sense of friction with life, of struggle in being here today maybe. The way we might phrase our exploration of that is, what am I not allowing? What am I not allowing? See where that invitation might take you. So I offer these reflections in the hope that there is service in allowing more of life and exploring more of life in dissolving the false dichotomy of whether life is personal or impersonal. So that our inhabiting of life is a freer and freer inhabiting. One that doesn't need to be pers- to have everything made personal about me 
but one that doesn't need either to fix the personal or dissolve the personal or rely upon the impersonal. So, stay tuned, friends. Stay tuned to what arises. Stay tuned to how you meet it. Stay tuned to what you find yourself doing with it habitually. Stay tuned for the possibilities that may be there, showing themselves in every arising to meet what's here more freely, more fully, more fluidly. So that whatever arises teaches us, frees us. And I hope these reflections are of use to you in that spirit. for your attention on a warm evening. Thanks, Elisa, for hanging in there. And I, and I forget to slow down. So, as you carry these reflections with you, just letting, letting yourself come back from contact with each other. Come from the the, the reflections that I've been offering, just to abiding with yourself, settling into the quiet and the cool and the solitude of the evening. <coughs> it may be that the day has been more than long enough already and your bed is calling to you. And it may be that there's still some brightness and curiosity Please feel free to sit a little more in the quiet of the evening, to walk contemplatively in the grounds, to sit by the river, to do whatever seems most supportive in letting yourself meet, in, in meeting yourself where you are. So I wish you a peaceful night. And I look forward to seeing you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.